Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 10 for our message together this morning. As Pastor Scott mentioned, if you're new here today, over the last several weeks, a little over a month now, we've been going through a sermon series entitled One Another, One Another, where we're being reminded specifically about how God has called us to love and to minister to one another. God has much to say about our care and our treatment, our relationships with one another, specifically in the body of Christ. The foundation of all that God calls us to in this one another instruction is the fact that God calls us first and foremost to have a relationship with him. Jesus was asked one day, teacher, tell us what is the greatest commandment? And when he was asked that question, the Pharisees literally had 613 commandments that they lived by. So they're trying to trick Jesus and get him backed into a corner. And Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. It is the love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, if you only get one thing right in life and one relationship that you're sure of, it should be to know that God is your father, that Jesus is your savior, that you have a relationship with him where you love him with your entire being. But if we love God as we ought, we're also reminded of a second command because Jesus said the second was likened to it that you should love your, your neighbor as yourself. Out of that instruction to love our neighbor as ourself, we've seen many words in the New Testament specifically about how God calls us to care for one another. Loving one another is not just an ideal Loving one another is not just a theory or a thought or a slogan or whatever else. No, loving one another should be measured in faithful, practical, selfless applications, practices in our life. For example, we've seen that we're to love one another in the way that we serve one another. We're to love one another in the way that we even admonish one another and warn one another when we're going the wrong direction. We're to love one another by the way that we are devoted to one another in brotherly love as we saw last week. But today we come to a very simple and yet profound application of a fourth component of loving one another, and that is this. God calls us to encourage one another, to encourage one another. Let me ask you by show of hands this morning, how many of you in your life have ever needed a word of encouragement? I, I'm just quick measuring here. I would imagine that means that every single one of us have, and those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're a liar and need to repent. Okay, but anyway, no, the simple reality is, is that we all need to be encouraged. And we all at times, I would imagine, have been blessed by a word of encouragement in our life. And on the flip side of that, we've also unfortunately been probably in a moment where we experience the pain of discouragement where we long for someone to speak that word of life. We long for someone to bless. We, we look for someone to reach out to us, but it didn't happen. And so we know the pain also of discouragement. To understand the power of encouragement, it is so profound in our lives. The calling to encourage one another, it is very simple and yet it is profound in the way that it impacts others. I'm reminded of the old illustration about how encouragement impacts people, but it also apparently impacts puppies, so to speak, in this illustration. The illustration was given many years ago of an older lady who was given a puppy for Christmas. And so 
she wanted to help this puppy be a blessing to her life. And so she began to teach this puppy every morning how to go outside to get the newspaper and bring it in and sit it at the kitchen table. And so she worked with this puppy for days and even weeks. And every time the puppy would progress, she would say, good boy, good boy. And she would give him a treat. She worked with this puppy forever, it seemed. And finally the day came. She got up, she put on her bathrobe, and she came to the kitchen and she saw that the puppy had did exactly what she wanted. He brought the paper right to her kitchen table. She called the puppy over. She said, good boy, good boy. And instead of giving him one treat, she gave him 10 treats. Oh, he was happy and she was happy. She enjoyed her coffee. She enjoyed reading the paper and she went about her day. She went to bed that night. She got up the next morning and she walked into the kitchen table that next morning. And when she looked down, she saw not one newspaper, but 22 newspapers. Well, of course she blessed him with the treats, but the reality is he spent the rest of her day returning newspapers to all of her neighbors. She said, pastor, what are you saying? I am saying that when you encourage And when you bless, when you, so to speak, give life to, there is no telling the impact it can have for good. William Arthur Ward said it this way, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. Think of it for just a moment today. History is filled with many, many accounts of people who accomplish incredible tasks, accomplish incredible things simply because of a word and a moment of encouragement. But we may never know the people who didn't accomplish great things because of a moment and a word, on the other hand, of discouragement. God is calling us to see from Hebrews chapter 10 this morning that he has called every single one of us to be an encourager of others, which brings up a very simple and yet practical question, and that is this. Here's the question. Are you faithful to encourage others? In your life, right now, even in the midst of a pandemic, are you a faithful encourager of others. See, see, the fact of the matter is this morning, we all want encouragement. In fact, many people will even do all sorts of tasks and all sorts of things in hope of getting just a simple word of encouragement. But I believe what God is calling us to recognize in Hebrews chapter 10, it's not necessarily about what we're getting from others, but through a relationship with him, what we're willing to give to others. We must encourage one another. With that sermon title, Encourage One Another, I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word if you're able to do so. We're going to look at three simple and yet very powerful verses of Scripture here this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. The Bible says it this way, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, key word, is what? faithful. Can you look at your neighbor and say, God is faithful? Can you do that right now? Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Read it again, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. These simple verses today are so simple and they are so clear and yet their application can have profound impacts, not only in our lives, but in the lives of countless people around us. Many of us, when we think about encouragement, we're reminded of encouraging words. The book of Proverbs has much to say about that. For example, Proverbs 16, 24 says this, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Everybody likes a pleasant word. Proverbs 12, 25 says it this way, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it delightful is a timely word. I don't know about you, but I can attest to the fact that there is great encouragement in a good, pleasant, and timely word. Amen? But I'm reminded from Scripture that encouragement doesn't just come through a sweet or good or kind or timely word. Encouragement can also happen through simply a smile, through a thoughtful act, through a kind gesture, from a a selfless act of service, even through a humble prayer. All those things can be a means of encouraging others. The word encourage is not a difficult word to understand. I anticipate that when we think of encouraging, we all envision something, whether it's a person that has encouraged us or it's the friendly person at Walmart that says hello. We, we think about these types of things. But what God is wanting us to see is that encouragement is more than just uplifting one's spirit. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. And there's a goal in it this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I believe that God is showing us that encouragement is more than just a friendly face. There's more to it than that. In fact, when the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 25 that we are to be encouraging one another, the Bible uses a a unique Greek word that is also used to describe none other than the Holy Spirit himself. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to leave you here as orphans because the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit as a helper, as a comforter. Guys, I want you to know that there's a different purpose for me. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, but you're not going to be alone. The Father's going to send someone, the Holy Spirit, to come alongside you, to comfort you, to help you, to strengthen you, to sustain you, and to guide you every step of the way. It is that kind of visual image, literally, of the Greek word paraclete. It's at the same root of encouragement when God is saying, I want you to know, believers, I have a calling for you. And that is this. It is not to isolate from one another, but is to come alongside of one another. Like, not, not, not that we are the Holy Spirit, but in a like manner, we come alongside of to encourage, to help, to comfort, to strengthen, to support, to, to sustain. You're going to work in that way. Well, how do we do that? How can we encourage one another when we live in such a crazy day in the world? How can we encourage one another when, frankly, there's a lot of discouraging things going on? God answers that in three verses in Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see three aspects of encouragement that we need to hear, understand, and apply today in our lives. Number one, I want you to see the promise of encouragement. The promise of encouragement. In verse 23, God tells us something interesting about himself and about what he has promised to us that gives us a great promise of encouragement. Please understand this morning that you're not likely to be encouraging to others if you are not first encouraged. 
Or another way to say that is, is that it's going to be hard to encourage others if you are walking around down in the dumps, right? If I go to you with a grumpy disposition, with a woe is me attitude, like an Eeyore personality, you're not likely to be encouraged by me. Would you agree with that? It's kind of like the illustration when you get onto an airplane, which probably most of us haven't done in recent months, but when you get on an airplane, one of the first things they will do as they're going through all the safety measures, they will say, in case of emergency, there will be a mask that will drop down from the ceiling. And they always say it something like this, put on your mask first, right? Why? Because they understand that you're not going to be able to be a help to others unless you are first taken care of, that you are in a good place. So make sure you put on your mask so you can breathe appropriately before you help others. In that same simple reality, God is showing us here, we're not going to be able to encourage others well unless we are first been encouraged. Maybe you'd say, but pastor, how is this possible? How can I be encouraged today in the midst of this broken world? I mean, pastor, don't you know, aren't you watching the news? Aren't you aware of what's going on? I mean, looking out west, there's wildfires in California. Looking at the Gulf, there's hurricanes that are coming. Look at all the political debates and rivalries. And pastor, there's a pandemic. How can I be encouraged? Here's how you can be encouraged. Encouragement is always possible when we live according to the promises of God. Encouragement is always possible when we are living according to the promises of God. Listen, if we're living according to the course of this world, and if we're living according to the political debates, if we're living according to all the chaos in the world, I'm telling you, there's a lot to be discouraged about. But when we live according to the promises of God, Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way, you're living by faith. And when you're living by faith with your eyes fixed on Jesus, your hope fixed on him, I'm telling you this morning, you can have an encouragement no matter what's going on around you or even going on within you, you can have an encouragement in the Lord. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now think of this for just a moment. The early church in this time, the time that Hebrews was written, was facing all sorts of turmoil. Some of us would read these verses and say, well, it must have been a better day for them. They must not have had a pandemic going on. It would be easy for us to read these verses and think, yeah, they must not have had a political election that year. It's been easy to apply these things. It'd be easy for us to, to read these verses and think, oh, they must have had it easy. But please understand what was happening in that day. What was happening that day is that many people who profess the name of Christ were being martyred for their faith. They were literally being burned at the stake and dragged into the city square to be killed before people would watch and cheer them on. That's the day in which they lived. And yet God looks at them and he says, listen, I want you to know this. I want you to hold fast the confession of your hope. I don't want you wavering. I don't want you being wishy-washy, going back and forth, here and there, hot and cold all over the place. No, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be unwavering in the hope that you have. God says, hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. This hope that God is referring to is one thing and one thing only. It's one person and one person only. When you read about this hope all throughout the New Testament, God is referring to this one hope. It is the hope of Jesus's return. When Jesus comes again in the clouds, literally, and the body of believers, we literally are called together to meet the Lord in the air. 
Here's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, I know it's trying. I know it's difficult. I know there's things that you don't know. I know that it's scary. I know that it's confusing. I know that it's broken. Please understand, we live in a fallen world. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve and the sinful nature that's passed on to all mankind, the world is in a constant state of brokenness. But there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will come again and all who believe in him as Lord and Savior, we will be called up together with him and we will be with him for all of eternity. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter three, verses two through four. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Please understand, child of God, yes, it's gotten bad in the world. And according to scripture, it's not likely to get a whole lot better. But here's what we can do. We can recognize this fallen world is not our home. Heaven is. We can recognize in the midst of this that our hope is not in Fauci. Our hope is not in a vaccine. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in D.C. Our hope is in the living Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave, is in heaven preparing a place, and one day will come again. One day our faith will end in sight. And so let that reality, let the promise of what's gonna happen in our future affect our present today. We can be encouraged today, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening to us, when we've set our mind on things above, on the promise of God that Jesus is coming again. Is that not what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he looked at the disciples and he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You hear those words, and it's like Jesus said them yesterday. I mean, think of that for a moment. Is your heart troubled today? Is your heart troubled today? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Here's the key. Believe in God, believe also in me. When you're believing in Jesus, you you don't have to fear these things. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, listen, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Is every part of the journey easy? No. Are some parts hard? Yes. Are some parts you just don't like? Absolutely. But please understand, who can mind the journey when we know it's leading us to heaven? It is a hope, it is an encouragement that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. When your hope is fixed on Christ and you rely on the faithfulness of God, you will find over and over and over and over again that he alone is faithful and true. So while we experience, just like the believers in Hebrews day, while we experience that there are many things that seek to influence us to silence our profession or to reject our confession or even to let go of our hope, we can look to God Believe his word, trust his promises, and find encouragement in him. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians says according to this, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Guess what's gonna happen? The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Listen to this instruction. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You want to first be encouraged? Here's what you do. 
You get in God's word and you trust and believe and live according to the promises of God, not according to the chaos around us. Second thing I want you to see is this. We see not only the promise of encouragement, we see the purpose of encouragement. It is not merely, now, now, now please hear me clearly, I hope to be an encouragement. I, 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 I strive to be an encourager, whether that's personally one-on-one or in the context of a group setting, I, I wanna be an encouragement. And, and, and I hope that there are components about that that maybe at times will lift your spirits, Right? There's components about that that I hope that will strive you, uh, to, that will help you to believe in yourself and strive for things that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have sought to do. But that's not really the primary purpose of encouragement. The Bible tells us in verse 24, here's the purpose of encouragement. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The purpose of encouragement is not merely so that you will feel good or that I will feel good for having encouraged. No, the purpose of encouragement is so that in the body of Christ, we can consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The word consider literally means to, to have consideration, to ponder, to meditate on, to think on. We're, we're giving intentional thought to this. How can we encourage one another? But the key word here is the word Stimulate. Now, we don't always use that word in our everyday vocabulary, but the Greek word that's used there literally means to stir up, to stir up. Now, now I love this word because I love what it depicts. How many of you would say that the fall season is one of your favorite times of year? Anybody like that? This is the save sanctified crowd. I mean, folks, I want you to know these are like the godly, I'm kidding. I love fall. I love the cool air. I love the changing leaves. I love fires outside. I could sit around a fire outside literally for hours and hours and hours. I just, I just love it. There's something about it to me that's like the whole world stops and I'm just sitting around a fire and hanging out. The picture of this word stir up is literally envisioning a fire. Most of us at some point have been around a campfire, a bonfire, whatever you want to call it. You've been outside and you've got logs that are there and they're stacked a certain way and, and, and they're, they're, they're lit and they're providing heat and warmth and you might be roasting s'mores and enjoying yourself with other people around you. But over time, as those logs burn, what begins to happen? The fire begins to go down. The, the flames aren't as high. And, and if you want to see that fire literally come back to life, if you want to see it literally be able to, to fan the flame, so to speak, here's what you do. You take a shovel, you take another log, you take something, and here's what you do. You stir it up. You move the logs around, you move the ashes around, and literally what happens is as oxygen, as air gets into that fire, it stirs it back up. You can even get down on your knees and just kind of blow at it a little bit. And what happens is it begins to flare back up. It builds up, and then you begin to add more logs to it. That is the image that God says we are to fulfill in each other's life. As believers in the body of Christ, we are to be stirring one another up so that the fire doesn't die, so that the passion that we have for God and for one another, for the body of Christ, that it's not growing dim and it's not growing cold. We're stirring each other up. It's like fuel in the fire that helps us keep growing, helps us keep doing, helps us keep following God's will, following God's word. We're stirring each other up. How many of us at times have been at that fire where we've seen a log burning and then it falls off the stack and it kind of falls over by the wayside. You let that thing sit there long enough, what happens is simply this. The fire is eventually gone and all that's left is a black log that might have just a little bit of smoke coming. It's lost its luster. It's lost its heat. It's lost what it needs to survive. Why? Because it's been separated and alone. 
So many of us in the body of Christ, and unfortunately, and especially in the process of this pandemic, it's easy for us to be isolated and separated and alone. And what God is calling us to do is this. He said, listen, my calling for you in the body of Christ, the purpose is this. You gotta figure out how to stir one another up to love and to good deeds. And, and as a result of that means we've gotta keep an open mind and an awareness for, for those that are drifting away, for those that are not, uh, so to speak, hot in their heart for the Lord anymore. We gotta be examining our own hearts to make sure we're not becoming complacent, make sure that we're not becoming apathetic. We've gotta constantly be guarding. Why? Because we're called to help, support, and strengthen one another in the body of Christ. This season of pandemic and quarantine has caused many of us, unfortunately, to forget how much we greatly need each other. This morning after the first service, just a few minutes ago, there was a family here visiting for the first time. They're not, they're not members of Crossing. It was their very first time here. And and uh, I went on my way, I just happened to say hello. I was in that specific area and they share with me, you have no idea in their words how good it feels to be in a worship service. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And, and, and the lady began to tear up. She said, no, I'm, I'm just telling you. And she began to describe the story of the church that they uh, had been a, a part of for a long time and how they're still not meeting in person. And she said, spiritually, I'm dying. Now, to be clear, there's a conversation there to be had about our own personal relationship with the Lord, but please understand what she was describing is she was describing what she was experiencing because of a lack of fellowship in the body of Christ. And so we need to understand that there are no Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other. And part of that calling in one another's life is not just to, to say hello, not just wave at a distance, not just chicken wing and knuckle bump, but to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The idea here is of love for God I hope our singing, I hope our fellowship, I hope our ministry to one another stimulates one another to first and foremost love God. But out of that love for God should come a love for others. And what does that look like? It's not just saying I love you, it's good deeds, it's, it's actions, it's service where we care for and minister to one another. I, I think the greatest picture of that is probably found when Jesus looks at Peter and he asks Peter a sobering question. This is Peter, the disciple of Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? I think Peter was stunned by that question. Yeah, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, of course I love you. But Peter, do you, do you love me? He cries out three times, God, you, Jesus, you know I love you. And what does Jesus say? Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, then minister to my body, minister to these that I'm giving my life for. Peter, if you love me, be committed to those around you, these sheep of mine. I believe what God is calling us to recognize is simply the purpose of encouragement is to be so faithfully involved in one another's lives that we are considering and committed to stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Third thing I want you to see is the process of encouragement. The process of encouragement. The Bible does not give us a detailed formula for how we are to encourage. God doesn't lay out here for us a five-step plan. And I think the reason why, just my opinion here, is because in our human nature, if God laid out a formula, we would spell it out and we would look at it as a checklist and we would go through the motions without any heart behind it. So God just really points us to two simple things. I mean, they're, they're so simple. And yet if we will do them, it is profound the effect and the impact they will have in the lives of others and on ourselves. 
God tells us in verse 25, two simple things about the process of encouragement. I'm gonna list them as things that we must do. The first is this, are you ready? Mind blown, right? We must be committed to assembling together. I know that's a shock. I know that's difficult to hear. I know we live in a world right now where there's so much going on, there's so many hesitations and reservations with the pandemic, I get it. God says what in verse 25? Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. The word forsake here literally means to neglect. Let that word sink in for just a moment. None of us want to think about neglecting someone, a spouse, a child, even a pet. But God says, I want you to be mindful to not neglect something. This is important to him. What is it? He says, don't neglect, don't forsake. You're assembling together as is the habit of some. This word assembling literally is a literal word for gathering. It means to come together, right? That's what's happening right now. And I feel kind of like I'm preaching to the choir right now because in the CLC and right here in the worship center, you know, we're here in person together. We're looking at each other. We look across the room and wave at someone or reach across and give somebody a knuckle bump or something. Like we're assembling together. It's a literal gathering of people. God says, don't forsake the gathering together, the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. This word for assembling is only used two times in the entire Bible. It's used in Hebrews chapter 10 to describe our gathering together like we are today. We came together to worship the Lord. We came together to fellowship. We came together to hear his word. And it's used in one other place. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. Now we request, we request you, brethren, with regard, listen to this, to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. And then from there, Paul gives some specific instructions. This word is only used two times in the entire Bible. The first time it's used to refer to the gathering of the believers on earth, like we're gathering here together today. And the second time it's used, it's used in reference to the day that Jesus comes again and we are gathered together to meet the Lord in the clouds. Okay? In the church, we do a great job preaching and teaching and even singing about the gathering that will happen one day with the Lord in heaven. But equally as important to God is the gathering that takes place when we come together to worship the Lord. Another way to say it is this way. In God's eyes, the gathering together of believers for fellowship today here on the earth is just as thrilling and as important as the gathering that will take place at the rapture. So the question I would ask is this, if God values this gathering so greatly, then why would we think of it any less than he does? Why would we not have the same value of it together? God is saying literally, don't neglect this assembling together of the body of Christ. God is calling us to have a definite, determined commitment to the body of Christ. Somebody say, but pastor, when God spoke these words, the people weren't living in a pandemic. When God spoke these words, they weren't dealing with all the challenges. No, frankly, they were dealing with far worse. And God called them to have a real genuine commitment to him first and then to one another in the body of Christ. 
fact of the matter is, if Jesus was committed to his bride, the church, so much that he was willing to lay down his life for her, then what does it say of us today if we don't share the same commitment and willingness, if necessary, to lay down our lives for him? Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of yesteryear, said it this way, Satan hates, always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians, what's the next word, apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly interaction than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And boy, do we see that in our day today. He does his best to promote separation. That's true in a marital relationship. As offenses come and transgressions occur and separation begins to take place. It shouldn't surprise us. Look back at Adam and Eve. That's true in the context of relationships and partnerships. I think of David when he should have been at war. He should have been doing what God had put before him to do. And yet in that moment, he, he wasn't. He was separated from Uriah and he was separated from his men. And of course, he sinned against God and it brought separation from him. It brought separation throughout his entire family and the legacy that followed. Why? Because Satan's attempt is not merely separation of man. Ultimately, it's separation and distance between us and God. Satan knows without a doubt, and Satan knows without question, if he can divide men who are meant to encourage and build up one another, then it would only be a matter of time before we are cold and indifferent towards God himself. Hebrews chapter 10 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some. Apparently, even in the early church, there were some who were wavering in their commitment both to God and to, and to man, to his church. Were they in fear? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Were, were, were they giving in to temptations of their flesh? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Were they given into the false teachers that began to enter the church and say, no, you got to have these rules and these legalism and these laws of the old covenant. you got to go back to this old. The Bible doesn't tell us all the details. It simply says this. There were some who were wavering. But God looks at them and he looks at us and says, but not you. Um, the fact of the matter is this morning as we gather here together, I, I am so thankful for all of you who are here today. I'm so thankful for all of you who are watching online. I'm so thankful for all of you who are in the CLC. This season has been a challenge for us. Can we all agree with that? Anybody been challenged? I mean, this has been a difficult season. Some of you, you're still, we're still walking through this season together. We don't know what's going to happen with the virus. There's a lot of things unknown about the election. There's a lot of things right now. Parents are working overtime to take care of kids and, 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 and to shepherd kids well in the pew, so to speak, in the seat right now. Like, it's a challenging season. And there are some, because of health situations or work situations, Frankly, they've, they've not been able to be back in the, the worship center or work back in person to gather and worship. And I want you to know there's a lot of grace and love and understanding. There's some of simply that place we're not comfortable yet. But when I say this, please understand, I'm speaking more to the other side of that. There, there are also a lot of people right now, frankly, who've become too comfortable. We've become too comfortable. It it's become too easy to sit back and really not be committed. It's become too easy to sit back and not really be consistent in our walk with the Lord. It's become too easy to sit back and not fulfill God's calling in this context of assembling together in the body of Christ. And so I want to remind you, if you're in that place where you're too comfortable, I want to remind you, God never called us to be comfortable. 
He called us to be surrendered and obedient. That place of comfort is a slippery slope that always leads to complacency and apathy. Let, let me just illustrate this for just a moment. And, and I don't mean to be rude. I, I want to be very, very careful in how I say this. Can I just be honest with you and say to you, as a pastor, dealing with all the COVID restrictions and all the changing laws and edicts, whatever you want to call them, has been a constant challenge for us. The balance between honoring a God and obeying him first and foremost and at the same time being mindful and respectful of our government has been a constant challenge in this season. And we have to be careful with that because there's a lot of people who want to paint everything in a big, broad stroke. But there has to be grace and consideration because, frankly, what one person is dealing with may not be the same thing we're dealing with. And so even in the way we look at this, from California to Virginia, it's very different. So we have to be careful with that. But, but let me illustrate for just a moment kind of the, the, this reality that of the slippery slope and how our calling, first and foremost, is to honor God and obey him above any and everything else. There's a pastor who for many years I have loved and respected and, and admired certain aspects of the ministry that God has called him to and what God's done. There's a pastor literally a few months ago who came out, the big news was that he had announced to their congregation and to all their campuses that they would not be meeting in person for the remainder of the year. The next time they meet in person would be January of 2021. Now please hear me, I'm not being rude, I'm not being ugly. I have much respect for how God has worked and, and worked through this man. But here's what grieved me. When he was asked why, why will you not be meeting in person? Why will you not be coming together to worship? Why will this not happen? Here's what he said, quote, we have made this decision simply because we cannot guarantee safety at this time. We, 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 we have made the decision because we cannot guarantee safety at this time. And can I just say, and I mean this with grace and love, but please understand, here's where my thought was. When I heard that, here was the question I think the Holy Spirit was really dealing with me about. Here, here's what it was. What have we become as a church when we are more concerned about safety than we are about obedience? Now, now, now please, please don't mishear me. Somebody hear that, oh my goodness, the pastor's lost his mind. I'm not saying that you act recklessly and you throw caution to the wind and you just do whatever you want to and hey, it's a, we're free, we'll do it. That, that's, that, there is a component of that that you can be tempting God if you're just acting like a fool. But here's what I am saying. As a Christian, God never called us to replace the great commission with the great caution. There's a component of risk in everything we do. Can, can you imagine? Listen to what Jesus said. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. His point is don't, don't worry about those things that are temporary, physical threats of this world. No, here's what you do. Be focused on the things that matter in eternity. Trust God, be obedient, walk by faith and see what God does. In other words, Jesus is calling us to live by faith, not by fear. He's calling us to live by surrender, not letting safety rule the day. He's calling us to live by obedience, not by objections to God's call. Can I just tell you something that's really profound if you think about it? Does anybody know where the fastest growing churches in the world are today? 
Now, a, a lot of people, you, I mean, you'll hear news articles, Christianity Today, every year, here's the top 100 growing churches in America, here's all that, no, no. Do you know where the fastest growing churches in the world are today? Two countries, Iran and China. Iran and China. For the record, both of those countries are extremely aggressively hostile to those who profess the name of Christ. In China, if they hear that you are gathering, their soldiers literally will be in the streets trying to make sure that gathering doesn't happen. And yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, believers are gathering together, putting their life and their livelihood on the line. Why? Because they've already surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're committed to him and to his body. Every time they gather in the living room of an underground church, every time those precious brothers and sisters whisper amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Every time they do that, they are literally putting their life on the line. Why? Because they've already given their life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're surrendered to him, and they're willing to stand no matter what the cost. And we in America look in shock that the average church, the big C church in America, has been steadily on the decline for the last 50 years. I just suggest to you this morning that we shouldn't be shocked. When we trust God and walk in obedience, when we fulfill and obey his command, when we're committed to him and to the Great Commission, guess what? God works and moves. So we must be committed to assembling together and finally we must come alongside one another. I've already given you the, kind of the imagery here, but he just says in verse 25, but encouraging one another. Literally, it's the same root word for the Holy Spirit. The picture here literally is that we have such a close relationship with one another that we come alongside of one another, that we put our arm around one another. We speak life into one another. We, we, we build up one another. We, we edify one another. We challenge one another on to continue growing in love, to continue growing in good works. That's the picture. Again, I ask the question, are you faithfully encouraging one another today? I, I told you earlier today about Jim Tingle and how he's encouraged me. Even from a distance, Jim has been able to come alongside of me and put his arm around me, encourage me. He, he knows me and I know him. But, but it's not just a pastor, member, shepherd, sheep relationship. It's us looking across the room thinking of how we can come alongside of each other. The greatest illustration that I can think of in the Bible, practically speaking, is the illustration of Barnabas. Barnabas was the son of encouragement, and every time you see Barnabas in the Scripture, here's what he's doing. He's encouraging someone. Saul has been saved. His name has been changed to Paul, but the entire church is afraid of him. They don't know if he's going to persecute him. So what does Barnabas do? Barnabas puts his arm around him and says, Paul, let me minister to you. Paul, let me introduce you to the fellows over here. Paul, let me introduce you to the church over here. He encouraged him. And God used Paul greatly. Paul and Barnabas were on mission together and there was a guy named John Mark. John Mark had already blown it. He had already missed his chance, so to speak. And Barnabas was given an opportunity to choose anybody to go with him on mission. Who did Barnabas choose? 
He chose the one that Paul, frankly, didn't want. He came along, the one that had blown the opportunity. He encouraged him. He put his arm around him. He gave him a second chance. He encouraged him. Barnabas saw something in Paul and something in John Mark that, frankly, they may not have even seen in themselves, but he encouraged them, and as a result, God did extraordinary things. And he'll do the same thing through us as we encourage. Notice the final statement, verse 25. How do you encourage one another? Here's how. You do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, keep on encouraging. Keep on growing in encouragement. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day he's talking about? It's back to the very first thing we saw in verse 23, that hope. It's the day of Jesus Christ's return. Jesus is coming again. I, I wanna encourage you today, man, open your eyes, look around the world around us. All these things that we're seeing, not necessarily in great detail that we're seeing them, but all these things that are happening, they are evidences that Jesus is coming again. They are evidence that this fallen world is not gonna last forever. They are evidence this world is not our home. Jesus is coming again. So what does he say? He says, and all the more, keep on encouraging as you see the day drawing near. George Truett was a pastor in Texas for many decades. And in the process of his ministry, God used him in an extraordinary way. But George Truett experienced a personal tragedy in his life that was a very tragic accident one day he went hunting with a group of friends and there was an accident and one of his closest friends was shot and was killed. George, a faithful man of God, it happened to have been his gun that killed his friend. George in Texas pastor for many years, God used him greatly, but he had a radio broadcast and he would end his radio broadcast with this simple statement. Do good to everybody because everybody's going through something. Do good to everybody because everybody's going through something. Most people didn't realize that behind those words were a personal experience of going through a difficult time. I want to encourage you in the body of Christ, do good to everybody because everybody's going through something. In the body of Christ, encourage one another. But I want to challenge you, don't let that encouragement end here on Sundays or in community groups. Go out into the world around you and encourage people. There are people hurting. There are people fearful. There are people who are hopeless. Even talking with local officials, they will tell you that substance abuse suicides, all of those things are on the rise right here in Rockingham County, Virginia. People are hurting. And we have an answer. We have the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. What did he say? Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can I just remind you this morning? Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready? Today, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you're not ready. If you've never believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross, when he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave, if you've not confessed him as Lord, you're not ready, but you can be. And so this morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you and challenge you today to confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him as Lord and Savior, and you can be ready. If you're here today and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
knowing that Jesus is coming again, don't put off that word of encouragement that you know that God is putting on your heart to give. Be faithful today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to our lives. Thank you for the ways that you speak to us through your word. Lord, I'm reminded today that there's a lot of things that can divide us. Lord, all the subjects related to the pandemic and restrictions and all, that all it can be so sensitive and we can be so easily offended. But God, I pray that our mindset would be first and foremost to know your word and to follow your will. God, help us to seek to obey you in all things, that, that our, our relationship with you would be such that it would be evident that we love you. And I pray that in loving you, we'd love each other well. And that we'd encourage each other like we ought. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now that we would be ready for his return. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.